Okay, we'll start our uh, Sunday school study. Let me read from Isaiah chapter 8, verse 20. We'll pray and get started. To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it's because there is no light in them. Will you pray with me? Father, we are grateful for the opportunity and the times that you have granted us to look more closely at your word. Uh, I would pray that you would truly give us eyes to see marvelous things in your law, uh, that you would be glorified in our attempt to understand what you have revealed to us. I pray it would be you would feed our souls with it and it would be for our good. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> so uh, I have pursuing the question, uh, what does it mean to be reformed? If we say we are reformed, what does that look like? I would say, suggest that at least there are three items that fall into that category. Uh, one is we would be considered uh, Calvinistic. And for some, uh, that could mean a lot of things. But it would mean at least the, the doctrines of grace, uh, which are known typically with the acronym TULIP. And we have been... We have previously looked at uh, the doctrines of grace. We started at uh, God's sovereignty or divine sovereignty, and we went through and looked at uh, the total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and the perseverance of the saints. Um, the doctrines of grace, uh, based on this particular uh, acronym, uh, is not limited to this acronym. We looked at others uh, that could be included. But at a minimum, we would say to be Calvinistic would be in, include the, uh, using the doctrines of grace, uh, which is a, res, a, a response from the remonstrance uh, from the Council of Dort. We would say that uh, also to be reformed would include not only this category called uh, Calvinism or Calvinistic, but also we would be confessional. We would have a confession. Um, we observe how creeds and confessions have been a profitable tool throughout church history to guard the clear authority and preserve the doctrines set down and contained in God's word. We are persuaded that a clear and full confession of what we believe increases the unity and fellowship among our churches and among other churches and association of churches. And one other, we believe a confession of faith serves as a helpful tool for our member churches to pass down to the next generation the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. A statement of a confession for us, the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith, it's just a scriptural summary. Uh, it answers the question, what do you believe? Uh, it, it does not replace scripture. It is simply a summary of Christian doctrine that's on there, which is particularly important in our culture today. Um, normally, you would see some statement of faith of what a church believes based on their website. You might see it under uh, what we believe or about us. And it will have some summary of what they believe. And some of those statements you will see that, hey, we're, well, we believe this about the, the Father, and we believe this about the Son. We, and so 
it will, it, it will have some general approach about what the church or that particular church believes. Um, the, the beauty of a, uh, the 1689 Confession of Faith is that it is more comprehensive about what we believe. Again, it does not replace scripture. It is a summary of scripture. Um, and of course, in our confession, it does note the biblical reference of where these statements are, are coming from. We would recognize that other uh, expressions of Christ, of the gospel, other uh, denominations also have their confession, if you will. Um, some would not call it a uh, confession, but it is a confession. In this case, particularly the Southern Baptists, their Baptist faith and message. Um, even the uh, Anglicans and the Episcopalians and their 39 um, articles, but these are just a summary of, uh, of confessions of faith. <clears throat> As part of our understanding of a confession, we have to ask the question, um, what does it mean to adhere to a confession? You can go to many church sites and see that column, or that category that says, what we believe or about us. But then their practice is different than what was stated on their website. So although they say this is what they believe, when you go to the church, it says something different. So we have to ask, what does it mean to subscribe to what you believe? Uh, I see what you say here, but I see a different practice here. Um, so how, What's the description? To what degree do you guys believe what you've stated on your, your website or in your brochure, if you will? That term is known as subscription. How do you subscribe? But when we hear the word subscription in our day, uh, something different comes to mind. Uh, this is simply um, using Google's analytics the historical uh, use of the word subscription as recorded in, in, in literature that's on there. Usually when I show these diagrams, you would see that it goes the other way where uh, it increases over time. In some cases, it wanes over time. But as you can see from this diagram, the idea of subscription was higher in years past and it wanes at, in as it moves across time. But my question to you is, what comes to mind when you hear the word subscription today? Magazine, Ma magazine subscription, Daniel? Streaming services. Streaming services. Other? Yep. Mm-hmm. So uh, some of you may be familiar with the phrase, uh, subscription fatigue. Subscription fatigue has to do with because the business model has so changed and what, the, what businesses want you to do is subscribe to their service. This allows the business to have a regular source of income, uh, whether it's monthly or annually. Uh, so we have subscription service. 
the problem is, is that everybody wants you to subscribe and they're putting their, it's as if they take their hand and says, okay, I just need a few coins out of your pocket. And they put your, and, but this service also wants just a few coins. And it used to be that you could get Microsoft, you know, Word, Office 365, and then you could use it for, you know, for 100 years. Now certain there's this annual subscription to Office 365. Oh, it used to be that, you know, you could just turn on your television and watch television. Now, if you want to watch your television, you subscribe to some service. Or, you know, typically maybe two models where you buy the hardware, it's a little expensive, and then you can continue to use it, and the benefits of it. Or the hardware is free, but you subscribe to the service. Now, there are certain benefits associated with subscription because the... The developers can continue to be paid and update the software that's on there. And Apple Analytics will show you that, hey, well, this developer regularly updates the such and such. That's because you've been paying a subscription. But as a result of that, everybody wants a few coins out of your pocket. We have subscription fatigue. Now, that's in the uh, tech, in, in within technology. But there is also a subscription fatigue when it comes to um, associated with confessions as well. First of all, um, people are opposed to creeds and confessions for whatever reason. Um, so, and that has been that's really popular in our culture, and it's been so for a long time. We didn't use the term subscription fatigue, but uh, it's kind of part of that. But it's important that we have some sense that if we say that we, to be reformed, is to be Calvinistic and to be confessional, that we understand, uh, have some understanding of what does it mean to adhere to this confession. So there are, uh, I'm going to give you the broad categories of uh, types of confessions. There's... Um, Okay, I'm sorry, let me back up. Let's look at the term subscription, then we'll look at the various forms of it. Um, when if we had to divide the understanding of subscription into categories, there's the noun use of it and there's a verb use of it. Uh, but a subscription to uh, simp simply sign as in a public aff uh, affix of one's signature and reputation to a document to provide authenticity as in a legal uh, disposition or protestation. So this is just means that you sign a document, you're attesting uh, certain legal documents you need to s sign. That is called a subscription as well. And that's the no uh, noun form of this, when you're attesting to its authenticity. Normally we see this as a, uh, when you have to get something notarized. You're, the notary is attesting, they put a stamp that's on there. So that's subscription uh, in one sense of the word as use uh, the noun use of it. Um, then there's this other use to formally commit oneself to a cause or to uh, or even to uh, raise funds and so this is the verbal use of the word uh, subscription and so this is something that you're giving one your consent to or binding oneself to. So <clears throat> In church history, um, and, and even in some universities, particularly at the Southern Seminary, 
if you're going to be if you're going to teach there as a professor, they want you to subscribe to uh, to the tenets of what they believe that's on there. That's the use of subscription that we will be looking at, not a testing as in your signature on a document, whether that's for a lease or a mortgage uh, or a notary, but this idea that you're attesting to that this is what you believe. Uh, to endorse a creed or signify agreements. Uh, and here's just a statement from, uh, this comes from Robert Gonzalez. Uh, the term subscription or subscribe refers to one's affirmation of, agreement with, or commitment to a fixed body of doctrine or articles of faith that are officially representative of a local church's or denominational's belief. So we will be talking about subscription in this sense. So a brief history. Um, Calvin comes to Geneva. He wrote two documents, at least those two anyway. Uh, First document was a confession of faith. Anyone who desired to be a member of the Reformed Church in Geneva would eventually be required to express agreement with it. And the other was an ecclesiastical ordinance, uh, which was church order. The Synod of Dort, the uh, FOS is just form of description, uh, became the standard in Dutch Reformed churches. It had four parts associated with it. The uh, Declaration of Agreement, okay. I, I took my thumb off. I don't know why I kept going. Uh, There's a de declaration of agreement, uh, a pro uh, promise to teach and defend. So this would be common today at many universities. Uh, to reject errors and to report uh, doubts and, and be subject to examination. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it, uh, it was quite common, actually it was a form of personal integrity that if indeed you initially subscribed and then you decided that uh, for whatever reason that you no longer would it, could adhere to what you had subscribed to, the, you actually would report that, hey, I, I no longer believe this, uh, if you will, uh, rather than... Uh, well, I, I say that, but in the case even of uh, Arminius, he started to teach things and then uh, grew, got a following and then was trying to change it internally. It was only late, I think, after the fact that he did that. But yes, this is a personal, uh, you personally reporting your difference with what you previously subscribed to. Thanks, Daniel. Um, two broad categories. Um, so we're looking at subscription as, of, uh, as it pertains to attestation or your agreement with it. Um, if you had to put subscription into two large categories, I'm going to have to use two Latin terms. Uh, this is uh, quia or, or versus uh, quantinus. Uh, I'm going to use the Lutheran Church as an example since they particularly use these terms. Um, 
quia has to do with uh, because, and quantinus has to do insofar as. It'll make sense in a moment. Quia has to do with subscription implies that the subscriber believes that there's no contradiction between, the, in this case, because it's the Lutheran Book of Concord and the scriptures. Quantinus subscription implies that the subscriber leaves room for the possibility that there might be a contradiction of the scriptures in the Book of Concord, in which case the subscriber would hold to the, the scriptures against the Book of Concord. So here are two broad categories. No contradiction or disagreement. Uh, maybe some contradiction. So what this is supposed to leave room for is that you subscribe to it but there might be some errors or some to it, so you're going to subscribe to it based on this category vice this category. You'll see the importance of that in a moment. So the, those are the two broad ones. Again, not as common in uh, probably Presbyterian or Baptist, more common in Lutheran, and I think the Christian Reformed Church. Um, Here's a statement from our introduction uh, of the 1689. We, we have also taken care to affix text of scripture at the bottom for the confirmation of each article of our confession, in which we have studiously endeavored to select such as are most clear and pertinent for the proof of what is asserted by us, and our earnest desires that all into whose hands this may come would follow that never enough commended example of the noble Bereans who searched the scriptures daily that they might find out whether the things preached to them were so or not. So in our introduction, if you're looking at these two categories, quia and quantinus, and you see that on the quantinus they were saying that, well, there might be contradictions in the, in the, in the book of Concord and the scriptures. The, uh, the 1689 states that, hey, uh, there's no contradiction because we're showing you where in Scripture that we're attesting to that's on there. So, so they're making that connection. Uh, so at, at the beginning, there is no uh, intent on, on this uh, quantinus, if you will, on there. There shouldn't be any contradiction because we're just simply, again, a summary. We're just stating where in the Scriptures we believe that. So... Um, whether they were familiar with these terms, they probably were because they were familiar with, with Latin. But you can see that at the beginning of the confession in 1689, this question about uh, uh, contradictions between what's being stated in the confession and the scriptures, they're, they're removing that doubt. Quia uh, subscription implies that the subscriber believes that there's no... Okay, why is that still there? But I have it twice. Okay, so now broad categories of uh, subscriptions that you might have encountered or you might hear. And we will just be focusing on uh, maybe just one or two of these, but just for your info, you may hear subscription based on one of these other categories. There is uh, what's called absolute Subscription, and can you read that? The confession is taken as it was originally written with no variation. There is uh, 
some would say historical uh, subscription, like the absolute subscription, except the subscriber must agree to the intent of the original writers of the confession. Full or strict uh, subscription. It runs close to the absolute subscription, but allows for exception for words or phrases. Uh, most of us have not encountered anything called system subscription. It allows for the subscriber's exception to non-essential doctrines or uh, propositions. And if that were not enough for you, there's something called substance subscription. Um, so those who are evangelical, does not require a declaration of the exceptions in the confession. And then uh, there's another substance subscription. Uh, this is more broadly, instead of being evangelical, it's supposed to be to encompass uh, the Christian religion in totality, uh, which is probably more, uh, more a type of subscription that you might see in Episcopalian. Question. Uh, <coughs> I want to make sure. So I can say this, since I uh, have some uh, reform, I mean, some uh, Roman Catholic background. Uh, this is more the case with uh, the Roman Catholic Church or the Roman Church. <clears throat> because you can show a, a, someone who claims to be a Roman Catholic that this is what the Roman Church believes. And they will say, but I don't believe that. But you're, <clears throat> yeah. So uh, now they wouldn't call that their form of subscription, but that's the category they're in. <clears throat> it would be the same actually in any church you go to and you look at about us <clears throat> and you ask somebody and say, hey, but you guys uh, believe, you guys state such and such. Oh, but I don't believe that. Get the previous pope, yeah. yeah. So it is the case whenever you hear that if this is the standard of that local body and you do not subscribe to that, it's not going to be their turn. But if you hear the statement, well, that's not something I believe. Okay, then you actually are in this category. There is this other category uh, called strict or loose subscription. Uh, and this would fall to those who uh, have some sense of uh, the Armenian view of this, though they would not, uh, maybe today, they wouldn't claim this. 
This is there uh, for loose subscription. I'm sorry, strict or loose. So we're looking at the loose subscription compared to strict uh, subscription. <clears throat> and loose subscription is simply not securely fixed. It kind of falls in that same category of substance subscription that's on there. So this is for those who might have uh, some type of subscription, but what they really want is a loose kind of subscription. Uh, they don't want to be bounded to a particular subscription, but they want to use the term subscription. So, yeah, we have a subscription. Uh, you would think, well, what, why would, how, how could you have that? So think of your college campuses. <coughs> they have particular standards, but the professor has freedom to communicate otherwise. What they have is kind of a loose, yes, uh, Michael. You might see it more in a category where an uh, individual uh, like, likes, likes what occurs in a particular church, but does not agree with everything of the church. And so there's this looseness that takes place in there. So uh, that's probably more where it's manifested than at the higher point where you have someone who uh, may be in the leadership that's kind of doing that. Usually it's the individual. People are ten. I have a, a former coworker who um, would claim to be uh, Roman Catholic, but didn't like some of the things that was in there. She lives in Austin, and so she found a church in Austin that was more friendly to other things that's on there. But what she liked about it was that people were friendly, and she liked the music that's on there. So, so she affiliates with that church but she has this loose connection to it that's on there. She would say that she goes to church, but there's this looseness that's uh, there. So it kind of falls in that category. The Arminian perspective was, the only, uh, was that only scripture could be the rule of faith. Confessions must not be used as standards of doctrine purity, but must be tested by scripture and always be open to revision. So that's the uh, Armenian thinking of this uh, loose subscription. It allows, and this is probably better answers your question, Michael. Uh, it allows for changes, if you will. I subscribe in this way because I think that if changes occur, then we should be able to make changes, uh, which is occurring in uh, some places like the Methodists, uh, where they, they want to make changes. 
this is true. They're just more structured in their changes. Um, <coughs> now, let's talk about full or strict subscription as it pertains to our particular church. Now, this comes from our bylaws. The elders and deacons of this church, ERBC, will hold to what is commonly called full or, or strict subscription in regards to the confession of faith. Strict subscription means that uh, a belief in or sent to all the doctrines described in our confession. And then um, this comes from the CBA for a full uh, explanation or historical description of strict subscription. Um, our, uh, we associate with the Confessional Baptist Association. So if you're asked the question, it says, okay, well, the deacons and the elders subscribe to full or strict subscription. What does that mean? Uh, some things that a full subscription does not mean. It does not insist that all of the teachings of the confession are of equal importance, just as not all of the teachings in the Bible are of equal importance. The full subscriptionists recognize that some doctrines are more foundational than others in accord with the biblical example. Positively, the full subscription believes that in professing that the confession is his confession, he is subscribing to all the doctrines in the confession. They are all part of the system of doctrine. <clears throat> full subscription does <clears throat> does not require the adoption of every word of the confession. Uh, I have an example of, of, of that. But positive believes that uh, we are adopting every doctrine or teaching of the confession. <clears throat> Here's an example of, uh, let me give you an explanation first. So uh, what does it mean that uh, about every word? That's in there. And I'm going to give you an example of, of how um, you can fully subscribe as a deacon or elder and then yet uh, not, not necessarily agree with all the words that are in there. So here's an example. In our confession where someone who holds to a full or strict subscription might say, I'm not sure about that word. So uh, this comes from chapter 1, paragraph 8. And there's this idea of vulgar language that's in our confession. Vulgar language. Um, let me just, instead of reading, I'll let you read that, and I'll just start the part and search them. Therefore, they are to be translated into the vulgar language that's on there. Now, the use of vulgar language, uh, historically, it kind of changed over time that's on there. But is the use of this phrase, uh, the term vulgar, still works today? Or should we use some other term that's on there? So someone who has a full or strict subscription might think, I'm not sure about this word vulgar that's on there. So <coughs> let's look at the uh, vulgar, or should we, should we subscribe and use another term, the vernacular? So here's a, a case where someone who subscribes in this way 
might prefer vernacular over vulgar. But really, is there much difference uh, in the two? Common or ordinary? Uh, and you see in the vernacular, the native speech to be translated into the vocal language of every nation into which they come, which is the idea of the, uh, the confession as it is associated with the term. But does not vernacular also uh, imply that? So <coughs> this was just one point where you were a full subscriptionist or strict uh, subscriptionist and he says, well, this is one term that I don't know if I could deal with. I prefer vernacular. So this is what we're talking about, about every term that you can subscribe, but not necessarily agree to every term that's being used in some way because of the understanding. <coughs> this comes from the Confessional Baptist Association about full or strict subscription. It is possible for an individual, a church, or an association to be cautious about the wording used to express a specific doctrine without denying the doctrine uh, that wording seeks to define. Full subscription honestly adopts all of the doctrines expressed in the confessional formation. In the case of the Confessional Baptist Association, this means that by subscribing to the document commonly known as the London Baptist Confession of 1689, we receive all of the doctrines contained in it as true, founded on the word of God. To be, to be considered a confessional church and as a condition of membership in the CBA, each and every member church must formally adopt in their local congregation, <coughs> excuse me, the second London Confession of Faith as their primary doctrinal standard of the local church, requiring full subscription of the confession among all elders, pastors. Our confession of faith means an authority that is subordinate to the word of God, but is indeed a true uh, authority. <clears throat> so for all, for the elders as a part of this church and the deacons, we fully subscribe to the confession. It is our personal uh, confession. And that is also a requirement if you want to be a member church in the Confessional Baptist Association of Sonia. Now, um, this is the distinction between other churches that you go to that aren't necessarily reformed, and you read about us, or this is what we believe, uh, usually there's no statement in there that the leadership subscribes to that. That's the statement that's typically not seen. I haven't seen one, but as you go and look, you might find one, but usually it's not in there. So you could attend that church, and see what they uh, would say they agree to, and something else could be preached uh, in there. Um, because there's no subscription requirement in there. <clears throat> and typically in the Reformed churches, particularly in the Reformed Baptist churches, and particularly in those in the CBA, is that this is what we, uh, this is our confession for the church, and all the elders and deacons subscribe in that way. 
that is a good thing for those who are attending the church because if we're preaching or teaching something contrary to that, you can say, well, hey, you, you subscribe to this. How, how does that fit in here? How does what you're teaching, if there's a conflict, then this is something that the elders would have already noticed and said, so let me pull you aside here. Uh, BJ, uh, I bought this uh, afro that you hope to get in the age to come. Uh, <clears throat> uh, where is that in the subscription? And you probably should just leave that alone that's on there. So you see the check that takes place. You see the church says, this is what we confess. And we ask the question, well, how do you subscribe to that confession? We subscribe to it as full or strict. We are not loose, if you will. Um, but you, this is the beauty of being part of uh, being reformed, if you will. There's this Calvinistic part to it. There's this confessional part to it. And by confessional, we also subscribe in a particular way. That's on there. Um, which in times past was actually more common and now is less common. And the challenge of that is that now we have a culture that seeks, that a progressive culture that seeks to uh, have the church change what they believe, even the Roman church that's on there. And what has failed is that either the statement of what they believe is not clear and, and also the statement of their subscription is not clear. And so you would have people in the congregation to say, well, why aren't there any women deacons? Why aren't there any women preachers? That's on there. Well, why, why can't we have somebody, uh, a couple that, uh, you know, two men, why can't we call that marriage? Why can't these two ladies, uh, you see, all these questions are coming up because where's the confession and where's the subscription associated with that? And so we should not be surprised that in the lack of a confession that all kinds of things uh, rise up, if you will. Why is there so much confusion? I thought, I thought this is what we believed. The beauty of a confession and its subscription. Questions? Theology is theology. Yeah, yeah. You, you would think it'd be one and the same. Yeah, but it's not. It's right. Um, so next Sunday, we will have our uh, financial report, and, and that will not be live streamed. And then uh, the Sunday after that, we'll look at another element of, of what it means to be reformed, and that's this idea of covenant theology. So we've looked briefly at, uh, okay, to be reformed includes this thing called Calvinism or being Calvinistic. Uh, and, and then when you look at this other thing called confessional and its subscription associated with it, 
Next, we'll look briefly at, okay, to be reformed also has this idea of covenant theology. And I hope to do that and also, um, as time permits, differentiate between, uh, as part of this covenant theology, well, within covenant theology, the Baptist distinctive, because we have the, the Lutheran, their reform, the Christian reform, church, their reform, and you have this Presbyterianism, and, and then you have this Reformed Baptist. Uh, how do we fit in that as being Reformed Baptist in this thing called being Reformed? So the three would be inclusive of all those groups, but then there's a distinction of, among those who are Reformed, and how do we fit in that? So I hope to have some time in which to, to mention uh, that as well. Because people would say, yeah, I, I think I, uh, in my case, in my history, and I'm going to take two minutes before you have to close. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> excuse me. So, I became aware of this being reformed through R.C. Sproul. And uh, I never knew there was a such thing as a reformed Baptist. I thought to be reformed was to be Presbyterian. Uh, but, you know, I couldn't swallow that uh, church structure and that infant baptism thing that's on there. But, you know, Archie Sproul is a good teacher, and then I got exposed to other people that's on there. And then uh, there's the founders thing that were Baptists. I'm thinking, also oh, there were Reformed people who were Baptists as well. They're called Reformed Baptists. I thought, oh, the light, there's light. Uh, so it, uh, unless you're an, an Matt is fortunate, and some of you are fortunate, that you grew up in a reform uh, environment, because I did not. And so my, my understanding has been progressive. But as I have learned, I'm thinking now, this stuff makes sense. It, it gets connected. I can understand why, if you, if you believe this, that it has implications over here as well. And, the, and it works. I can connect this. OK, this, this makes sense that's on there. Uh, other stuff was a little confused. You believe this? Well, how does that work in there? Well, there wasn't enough structure for me to, to plug that in there. But this, this idea of a Reformed Baptist and Reformed theology, it simply makes sense. And it seems to connect in, in the various places in there. So I am an advocate of, uh, of, of being Reformed, and particularly Reformed Baptist. And so we'll look at covenant theology, and if we have some time, the distinctiveness of, uh, of the Baptists in this reform view. Let me end with uh, from John 5, 39. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. Will you pray with me? Father, we are grateful that you have called us to yourself through various means. We are thankful for your grace and mercy, the forgiveness of our sins, the removal of all manner of guilt. Father, we thank you for the love you have extended to us and ask that you would continue to feed our souls with your word. I would pray, Father, that as we prepare our hearts uh, for worship service, that you would make us attentive to the preaching of your word, that you would use it to save souls, that, we would, that others would come to rejoice in the mercy that you have extended to us. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Roger Smith.